Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, uh, this is Ant in the edit, uh, in the future, I guess, from the point of view of when we recorded this. Um, anyway, uh, the eagle-eyed amongst you, or the eagle-eared, I guess, would realise that we were supposed to have done 1977, uh, but you're getting 1686, um, you know, and this is because there's a bit of technical difficulties in the recording of 1977. Uh, we won't point any fingers of blame at anyone in particular, we'll never know who was the source of it, so, you know, please stop blaming me, Will and Anna, uh, but it was my fault. Anyway, suffice to say, we'll be back to 1977 next week. Um, so enjoy the sort of like, uh, you know, temporal paradox that we're sort of creating. Okay, bye. Hello and welcome to the Randomly Generated History Club, where three non-historians pick a year at random and try to learn things about it. I'm Will, and I'm here with my two friends, Ant and Anna. Hello. Hi. This week, we are talking about the year... 1686. Now, please, may I have your three-word previews? Anna, please yeah. go first. Yes, my three words are inside chief's belly. Inside chief's belly. Yeah. Ooh. Good, 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 good. Mm. Mine is rulers anti-France fiesta. Rulers, rulers anti-France fiesta. Is rulers possessive? Rulers is plural possessive. Oh, the rulers is anti-France is fiesta. Oh, anti -France More fiesta. than one ruler is going on an anti-France siesta. Fiesta. 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 Correct. Yeah, correct. Yes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and mine are free-thinking Swede. Free-thinking Swede. I'm going to go ahead and call foul on free-thinking being two words. <gasps> free-thinking is one word. Hyphenated at best. Free-thinking Swede good. When in doubt, add a Free-thinking Swede queen. Ooh. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, good. good. good free-thinking lady Swede. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this week I'm going to talk about Christina, queen of Sweden. Amazing. who is the Swedish queen best remembered as one of the most learned women of the 17th century. Wow. 
That's pretty. That's pretty low bar to cross. I know. I was gonna say that's so impressive, yeah. and I was like, there were probably like five of them. Yeah. So, um, she was fond of books and mm-hmm. paintings and sculpture, and she was interested in religion and philosophy and mathematics. And she attracted many scientists to Stockholm, uh, one uh, where she tried to make the city into a kind of Athens of the north, in mm. the centre of learning. And and then um, later on, in, during the Peace of Westphalia, um, that allowed her to establish uh, academies and universities wherever she wanted um, across across Europe. So these are the sorts of things that she's uh, she's remembered for today. And oh. I will talk a little bit about her life. Academies, you said. Academies. I thought you said cannabis. And I was like, oh, okay, Christina. <laughs> I mean, maybe that as well. Maybe, yeah. I mean, she was also obsessed with alchemy, which oh. is a less uh, yes. worthwhile enterprise. Yeah, yeah well, you know. Uh, yeah. Cool. So let's, yeah. let's talk a bit about her life. So she was born in 1626 and was a member of the House of Vasa. Mm. And she oh. was Queen of Sweden from 1632 until her abdication in 1654. Have you guys been to the Vasa Museum in Stockholm? No, I have not. It's actually extremely cool. And that's why I said, oh, because I don't know if it's if it's connected. But it's this ship, this like giant wooden ship that oh. sank kind of immediately upon leaving harbor and was like buried in the mud and they unearthed it and put it in this museum and it's excellent wow, okay. if you're in Stockholm. So I wonder if that's the same Vasa. Probably is. Yeah. Um, cool. We will go. I'll, yes. I'll, I'll, we'll make sure we yeah. do a kind of uh, conveniently. Yeah. A it's bonus also feature. right next door to the ABBA museum. So <laughs> two for one. <laughs> Uh, so she succeeded her father, which is often the way it goes with royals. And um, <laughs> g- this guy is called Gustavus Adolphus. Yeah. And he died in the Battle of Lutzen in 1632. But then she only began actually ruling uh, the Swedish Empire from the- when she reached the age of 18, which was okay. 12 years later. 12 years later. So uh, when she was, um, yeah, and-, and when she was born, the baby was first thought to be a boy, mm. as it was, quote, hairy. End quote, that, and screamed that, with a screamed mm. with a strong hoarse voice. Oh. Now I know medicine and stuff was not great at the time, but <laughs> if uh-huh. the midwife slash doctor was saying, "Yeah, it's a boy," we think on account of the hair is what. Maybe it was just yeah. when they could only see the head, not to get too graphic. Yeah, 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 yeah okay. okay. <laughs> um, the head and the mouth because it was the, screaming. And the mustache. <laughs> and the mustache. <laughs> it was probably the mustache. <laughs> I mean, history doesn't really tell us much more, uh, I'm afraid. But uh, the king was very happy, stating, she'll be clever. She's made fools of us all. Um, (laughs) And he was then really close to his daughter. Uh, But her mother remained permanently aloof with her, partly because she was disappointed at the child being a girl rather than a boy. A hairy, hairy girl. Exactly. And she'd had a couple of girls before. So I think she was felt under pressure to produce a boy. unfair. Um, and it also seemed that her mother suffered with quite poor mental health. Oh, and so as a okay. result, she was then kind of kept apart from the baby yeah, as well. Because yeah. um, okay. they thought it would kind of, should pass it down, her bad mental health down wow. to the baby. Yeah. yeah. Um, under the like fairly terrible practices of the time. Yeah. Um, and, and then so in, in June 1630, when Christina was three years old, her father then left uh, the king, then left uh, to go to Germany to defend Protestantism mm-hmm. during the Thirty Years' War. And before he left, he secured his daughter's right to inherit. And he picked her, even though she had older sisters? It's a very good point. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a a very good point. I hate to be the one to To, point out the plot which history and will have no answer. (laughs) Yeah, one of those two things has no answer. Further research is required. (laughs) 
Um, but and, and yeah, he 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 secured her right to rule in case he never returned, and gave orders mm. to his marshal. Uh, importantly here about how, how learned she ended up being uh, that Christina should receive an education of the type normally only afforded to boys okay mm-hmm. um, so I mean it just showed yeah she was basically just given a, a, a normal education yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah right Okay, so I'm not going to I'm not going to tell the whole story of her life, but she's a pretty fascinating, kind of independently minded uh, person who is like intellectually curious, uh, was a p- patron of the arts and of um, the, of the sciences, and led us a, a really interesting life. But here are some interesting facts, yep. to, sort of, of of some of the stuff that she got up to. So, in 1644, she began to issue copper in lumps as a currency, huh. <laughs> and, and some of these lumps were as big as 15 kilograms. Um, wow and, that's and, a really inconvenient type really of currency like, hold on let me haul out my 15 kilogram lump of copper oxidizing it's yeah the green. patina yeah it's getting like my copper bag all yeah. dirty oh my god your right? hands would just smell like pennies mm. all the time i mean yeah so i like and a lump of it not even like no a lump She's an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have absolutely no idea why she did that, yeah, to be right. clear. Uh, anyway, that's the thing she did. Um, she, <laughs> she also had a habit of, uh, of total financial extravagance. So, in fact, spending it was all, all the, that yeah, copper. All those lumps of copper. <laughs> copper for you, lump for you, and you, and you. She's just chucking them into the audience. <laughs> and it got, so her financial extravagance got so bad that it nearly bankrupted the Swedish state. Wow. And the financial difficulties from it all caused public unrest. So she didn't do like a first class governing job frankly um she, she women also, be shopping she also kept a goat and a donkey with her on her travels around <laughs> europe <laughs> and I'm, I'm a big fan of the goat and the donkey uh, for so, advice obviously yeah of course um she, christina also argued uh, for peace to end the 30 years war okay. and she received indemnity from the other side and then meanwhile a scandal uh, she caused a scandal when she decided not to marry which is interesting about uh. and she converted to catholicism secretly in Ooh. brussels um, and then uh, publicly in Innsbruck later. After her dad had died defending Protestantism. Yeah, so I, I think there's, kind of she clearly move. had this like, it, it, there was a lot going on, I think, with her. So so she, I mean... A lot to unpack, really, isn't there's there? There's a lot to unpack. So, you so know what her, happened? What's that? The donkey made her do it. Oh, I thought you were going to say she saw a hot priest or something. <laughs> <laughs> or that. No, well, I mean, she was almost certainly gay. Not to like, I think it's, oh, it's really okay. difficult to, you know, yeah. try to delve into the private thoughts of historical figures, right? But I think, no, I think she, was probably, she was probably gay. Um, she's also had her dad, um, which obviously she couldn't necessarily express openly at the time. Yeah. Oh, right. So, odd choice to go into Catholicism if you are gay. <laughs> Well, I think it must. So this is the point. I think I think she she didn't want to marry a man. Yeah. And I think maybe that was also linked to the fact that that might be we removed some expectations on her um, to marry because into other Protest- other Protestant aristocrats, okay, yeah, yeah, she's yeah. Catholic. Oh, okay, yeah. um, That's actually pretty shrewd. Then. Pretty shrewd then. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's all these sorts of things going on, and then meanwhile, quite right, her dad had died fighting the other side. Yeah. So all yeah, I mean, incredibly complex psychology. <laughs> what's going on here? Um, and then yeah, so due to that, um, the Pope Alexander the Seventh then described Christina as. A queen without a realm, a Christian without a faith, and a woman without shame. Uh, oh. Which is a brilliant quote, let's face it. But like, yeah. also that really was on horrible. The back That's of a really book? Ho- she, she converted to Catholicism and then he slags her off like that? Yeah, he, he didn't like it. Yeah. And like, is there any like proof of her? Like, is there any like sort of other than just people maybe trying to slander? Like, how do we know that she's probably other than that she didn't marry? 
Oh well, so that's basically all you could say. In the no, no. So, so, so she had a fairly like unconventional lifestyle by the time. So, so interestingly, she, so she she grew up as um a, as a young as a girl destined for power, mm. um and then and she was educated. Uh, she was given kind of the the surroundings and grow and upbringing she had were that of a boy at the time, basically. Uh, and then um the she had a quite an unconventional lifestyle as an adult, and she had quite a masculine sort of dress sense. Um, and um, most of the kind of biographies that have been written about her have explored in quite some detail the fact that she sort of expressed her gender and sexuality very differently than you Mm. might expect from a kind of uh, normal, quote, normal, unquote, aristocratic woman at the time. Um, So yeah, it's it's sort of quite an an important part, I guess, of her. her Yeah, 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 it's fascinating. I still can't believe that Pope did her dirty like that. I know, it's outrageous. What a great, Uh, I'd love someone to speak to me. It's a great quote. It's a great the Pope quote. does not want to classify me in any terms. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm happy to say you're a man without shame. Ah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going on my LinkedIn profile. <laughs> uh, so she ended up being the guest of five consecutive popes and became a symbol of the counter-reformation. Yeah. And is one of the few women buried in the Vatican Grotto. Oh. Mm. And then a f- is that like the Playboy Mansion Grotto? <laughs> Yeah. No, they're, they're different grottos. They're, they're two different, different grottos. grottos. Oh, okay, the hot okay. tub. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. People do frequently end up at one having yeah. intended oh, for the oh, other. Oh, shit. I thought this was the Vatican. Sat nav got it wrong. <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't have had all that Viagra. <laughs> <laughs> uh, final fact from me, um, and one of the best. So when Louis XIV revoked the, the Edict of Nantes, uh, which abolished the rights of oh. the French Protestants, oh. the, the Huguenots, I'm about but, to talk about this as well, so this is exciting for me. Okay, cool. So it was, this is perfect. So, so when when Louis the Fourteenth um, abolished the rights of French Protestants, Christina then wrote an indignant letter, and by this time she's in in Rome, uh, dated on the second of February, sixteen eighty six, which is directed at the French ambassador, uh, arguing against it and imploring them to change uh, the policy. And then in Rome, she made Pope Clement the Tenth uh, prohibit the appalling custom of the, t- of the time of chasing Jews through the streets during carnivals. And oh during these public holidays, God. which wow. is the level of like state mandated persecution of, of of Jews at the time, and then in six. So sorry, she was against that. She was she so basically she's arguing in everything she's doing against religious persecution. Okay, great. Okay. Yeah. Um, whether so by this time she's out of power in Sweden yeah. in Rome, but yeah. she's still like yeah. it's incredibly important public figure lobbying yeah, yeah, yeah. for inclusion yeah and for um, nice. an influencer yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she had a hundred thousand instagram followers yeah. um, and then later on she wrote she issued a declaration saying that the roman jews were under her personal protection oh signed wow. uh la based, regina the queen based on nothing based on nothing yeah but it was like an important symbolic yeah. thing for yeah, someone yeah, yeah. no she, one else was saying that sort of thing right. about the jewish community as well. right and she had an aggressive goat to, yeah uh, oh yeah <laughs> based, she's they're under my protection also the donkey and the goats. Yes, exactly. Um, and so overall, she was this really fascinating figure, very independently minded and someone who confounded lots of social norms. Yeah, there you have it. It's Queen Christina of That's Sweden. That's pretty cool. I like her. Good job, Lady Swede. Yeah, good job her. Okay, cool. To follow that up. Yeah. Uh, some overlaps in what we're talking about. I guess because it is the same year. Um, but I'm going to talk <laughs> about France mainly and okay. people that are anti-France. Oh, in this like Will. Fiesta, like <laughs> Will. Um, he might have been there. This is the League of Augsburg. Nope. Augsburg. There it is. League of Augsburg. Nope. Augsburg. Pick one. The League of Augsburg. Yeah. There you go. There we go. So the late 17th century, 
as we know, time of political intrigue and shifting alliances in Europe. Uh, King Louis XIV of France, we just mentioned, sought to expand his territories and consolidate his power. And his ambitions set off this chain reaction of events that would eventually lead to the formation of the League of Augsburg in 1689, the year after in question. So we're dealing with the build-up to this. Don't at me. Well, three years <laughs> after the year in question, but good yeah, enough. Yeah, whatever. Uh, the article... <laughs> this. Uh, so we're going to explore the lead-up to the formation of the League and highlighting these different personalities, interesting connections, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and these long-lasting consequences of such. So strap in. We're going to talk about King Louis XIV otherwise known as the Sun King, because I think he was either very dense, very bright, or <laughs> others revolved around him. Not really sure. Yeah, uh, no, he was, it's because he was made of mostly helium. Yes. <laughs> hydrogen, was, sorry. Hydrogen, uh, converting to helium, though. Uh, uh, ruled France from 1643 to 1715, a key figure in European history. He was known for his ambitious exp- expansionist policies and his extremely extravagant lifestyle. Um, under his reign, for example, the Palace of Versailles was built, uh, you know, a symbol of power and grandeur. It still lasts today. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, he also wanted to expand his territories. He increasingly came into conflict, those that people, you know, didn't want France to expand their territories, which is basically everyone else, <laughs> particularly uh, the Holy Roman Empire and the Dutch Republic, Ooh. Ooh, uh, which is, in my mind, very like the Star Wars Republic. Um, but anyway, so what he enacted then was called a series of things called the reunions. The reunions. The reunions. So in 1679, the Treaty of uh, Nijimit. Ni- 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 oh my gosh. Oh. The treaty. There was a treaty. There was a treaty. <laughs> N-I-J-M-E-G-E-N. Nijimit. 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 The Treaty of Nijimit. We're <laughs> So flying blind here. End of the Franco-Dutch War, resulting in territorial gains for France. However, the Sun King was not satisfied and sought to further expand his influence and territories through a policy known as the Reunions, or in French, Les Reunions. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. The, The French King claimed that certain territories in the Holy Roman Empire were rightfully part of France, and he set up what were called the Chambers of Reunion, or Chambre de la Reunion. To investigate these claims. God, I feel like I'm there. <laughs> and so what these were was these were like sort of uh, nominally independent bodies that were ascertaining the legality of who owns what, where and when. But they were just French puppets, yeah. effectively. They, were, they weren't literally, they might have been Or in French, les puppets. Les puppets. <laughs> um, uh, so the policy alarmed neighbouring states who saw these actions as a threat to their own territories and the balance of the power infrastructure within Europe. And so in October 1685... Louis XIV revoked the Edict of Nantes, which granted religious freedom and civil rights to French Protestants uh, known as Huguenots. So this is gone, so the Huguenots, so the Edict of Fontainebleau, which officially <laughs> revoked this edict, led to the... What? Led to the persecution of the Huguenots? You're doing great! <laughs> Thank you! This so is the fr- thing I just talked about. <laughs> yes, it's yeah. exactly this thing. Yeah. And the destruction of their churches and schools. And so these Huguenots fled France, seeking refuge in neighbouring countries and contributed to the tensions between France and other European powers. And this diaspora uh, helped to spread anti-French sentiment. So you now had people that were sort of nervous about the French expansion, flooded with people that had influence and power. They were the, like the French Protestants got yes. dispersed. Yes, okay. exactly. Yeah, cool. And so in 1686... But that was like, I mean, people sort of brush over that, but that was like as 
one of the, the worst religious persecutions oh, Europe's yeah. ever seen. Oh, like yeah. 900,000 of them or something. And they're mm-hmm. all like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. appalling. Um, they're really nice. awful. Uh, and in 1686, um, he incorporated various territories into France, such as the Principality of Orange, located in modern-day southern France. Orange. Orange. <laughs> Principality. And part of the Alsace region into the French realm. And this really ticked off the alarmed European powers and contributed to this escalating tensions. And so, out of this, these, these embers uh, formed this unlikely alliance mm. of, of countries. The Justice League. The Justice League. Uh, so the tensions rose and this unlikely alliance began to form against Louis Fourteenth. The Dutch Republic, led by the shrewd statesman William III of Orange, who would later become oh. King, oh. William the Third of, yeah, wow. King William III of England, okay. yeah. sought to counter the growing French threat. William III worked tirelessly to forge these alliances with other European powers, including Spain, the Holy Roman Empire, and Sweden. And this diplomatic effort laid the groundwork for the formation of the League of Augsburg, which was then signed in 1687, so all this beat up into that, between the Holy Roman Empire of Spain, the Dutch Republic, Sweden, England, the Duchy of Savoy, and a lot of smaller German states. It's literally everyone else in mm. Europe except France. It was, it, was, it was also later called the Grand Alliance. Yeah. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. So this is like all these people that were vying for power and status and, you know, at each other's throats and suddenly they had this united front against the French. It's like the enemy of my enemy of my enemy of my enemy of my enemy is my friend. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, a whole cast of characters. So I'm just going to hit some of the names here so you just know Great. them. Great. Strap um, in. There we go. Here Holy we go. Roman Empire, Emperor Leopold I. Oh, that's an easy Spain, one. King Charles II, the Dutch Republic, Stadtholder, William III of Orange, uh, Sweden, King Charles XI, England and Scotland, first of all, uh, was King James II, um, and then replaced by William III and, uh, after, after the Glorious Revolution in 1688. Yeah. And Savoy, the Duke, Victor Amadeus II. All right. So a whole bunch of people. And this is like in the height of this Baroque period. So this is the absolute peak of like just extravagant balls. Um, uh, like white stockings and, with oh, buckled high heel shoes. Powdered faces and wigs. Yeah. Fake Cristal beauty, beauty everywhere. The Cristal, the <laughs> champagne. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. And uh, so, right. All yeah, no, jam- the club promoters were so <laughs> really prevalent good. in this in the and They're all just like jamming out to back. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, this is where all the tropes of like all these tropes come from this time. This actually was like this. And uh, King Charles II of Spain was renowned for his love of these festivities, hunting, good times. 
and he threw these extravagant parties that would last for days and attendees dressing up in elaborate costumes and it was just this den of gossip and intrigue and spies and rumour mongering and all kinds of stuff. Love it. It's exactly that. And they're like, ooh, hear what the French are doing? Ooh, what about this? What do we partner? No, we possibly can't do that. All this back and forth. It's great stuff. I, I would have done great there. Um, <laughs> I'd be you do so look good. good in a powdered wig. I would be really, really good. Um, so the events leading up to the formation of the League of Augsburg just it really sort of set this stage then because you had France on one side and you had basically everyone else and that set the stage for the Nine Years' War that started in, later on in 1688 um, which was this major conflict between France and this coalition and there's you know, numerous battles and sieges and campaigns across Europe just through the whole thing into, into warfare and it, there's a treaty later on uh, the Treaty of Ryswick and the League of Augsburg was a precursor to the Grand Alliance which would again go on to later oppose France during the War of the Spanish Succession in 1701. Mm. So it really set this tone for just like decades of warfare yeah. and just destruction and heartache and pain all because um, the Sun King wanted more land uh, back into France. So to sum it all up, uh, the lead up to the formation of the League of Augsburg was just political intrigue, power plays, a lot of notable personalities all vying for space on the European stage. Um, King Louis XIV seeking to expand, lay this foundation for this just rifts in Europe that, you know, carry on to this day, one could argue, you know, mm. um, with Will here. <laughs> <laughs> Will is a one-man League of Augsburg. <laughs> but but it, it really did, like, you know, all joking aside, has has laid the foundation for European sort of, like, identity uh, is still along some of these same allegiance and lines. Yeah, I mean, really. Ireland, right? It's like, mm. I mean, so many so many of the origins of the problems there come mm. from the Thirty Years' War and the Orange, William of Orange. William of Orange is not the most popular of characters. In really. some parts of the Ireland. In some parts of the Ireland. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How many more caveats Popular in put? other parts. Yeah. Uh, yes, and, and very popular in other parts. Yeah, there is... <laughs> Uh, there is a divide. There is a, yeah. <laughs> Which we're going to solve today. Yeah. <laughs> cool. That's my story about Europe, France, and anti-France. Nice. Nice. It's funny to remember just how much of like the 17th century was war. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing. I wouldn't the say whole, funny. Uh, <laughs> funny peculiar. <laughs> funny. Uh... Well, great. I am far away from Europe today. I've gone down to Africa, where I haven't been in a while. And I'm talking about the kingdom of Dahomey, or Dahomey, which uh, existed from around 1600 until 1904 in what is now Benin. Oh. Yeah. So uh, this is very cool. They've been on my list to talk about, and I was just waiting for a year when something close to important happened close <laughs> yeah. to the year in question. And ding, 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 got it. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about the origins of Dahomey. Uh, there's a popular but probably false account of how the kingdom got that name. The story goes that a man named Dako Donu, who was probably the second king, was granted permission by the local rulers to settle in this plateau and kind of establish his, himself there. Uh, Dakodonu requested additional land from a prominent chief named Dan or Da, to which the chief responded sarcastically, oh, should I open up my belly and build you a house in it? Uh, Dakodonu was very insulted by this, so he killed Dan on the spot. Did he then build a... Well, he no, he but, did okay, begin no. the construction <laughs> of his palace 
allegedly right in the spot where he'd killed this guy. Uh, And so the name of the kingdom, Dahomey, was derived from this incident, Dan meaning chief, Ho meaning belly, and Mei meaning inside of. So that was my three words, inside chief's belly. Nice. Yeah. Possibly apocryphal, but... What what does Ho mean again? Ho, uh, belly. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't know that was what that meant, but okay. (laughs) Well, in this language that you speak. Where my belly's at. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. Uh, So anyway, that all happened in the early 1600s, maybe. But uh, Dahomey's foundational king is usually considered to be a man named Wegbaja. And the oral tradition around Wegbaja is that he was the son of this king, King Dakodonu. And King Dakodonu was betrothed to a woman, but Wegbaja got that woman pregnant. So Dakodonu disowned him, which is not great. Mm. But then Wegbaja killed a very strong rival of the king. So they reconciled and Wegbaja becomes the heir to the kingdom again, which as far as sleeping with your father's fiance goes is about the best result you can hope for. It's still for. a pretty awkward Thanksgiving. It's not great. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably a little bit of tension for yeah, a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, King Dakodonu dies in around 1645 and Wegbaja becomes the king. And he formed much of the administrative and religious practices of the kingdom. He kind of sets the scene for Mm. for how it will uh, grow and evolve from there. He built the royal palace. He loved taxes. He introduced poll taxes and death taxes. Death taxes? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like inheritance tax? I think inheritance tax. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, not not like you have to pay a tax in order to die. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. (laughs) Um, and I just wouldn't pay. Live forever. <laughs> <laughs> Loophole. What other taxes did he introduce? And VAT. The, uh, <laughs> he P- loved P-A-Y-E. VAT. He began raiding and taking over towns outside of the plateau, and he's the first king to really think about expanding the territory and growing the kingdom. Um, one thing that he may or may not have done, the these people I'm about to talk about definitely did exist, but it's a little unclear who really founded this institution. But it may have been Wegbaja, and that was the creation of the Dahomey Amazons, the Agoje. So these are the elite all-women army of the Dahomey, who uh, would later be the inspiration for like the Dora Milaje from yeah. Black Panther, among yeah, other yeah, things. Yeah. They were very real. Um, they were called Amazons by Europeans who later saw them and obviously likened yeah, them to the yeah, yeah. Greek myth. But internally, they were called the Agoje, or the Mino, which means our mothers. Oh. Um, and they're, they're... I don't think my mother would be good at that, I think. <laughs> well, how good is your mom with a musket? Uh, well, she's actually right. pretty good. Yeah, she's, she's not bad. Yeah, yeah she could have done it then. Yeah, fair one, okay. But if she had, you wouldn't exist because they were um, prohibited from being married or having children. Oh, well. Yeah, so I wish she had done it. <laughs> she, <laughs> oh, my God. She could go do it now. She could do it now. She, she could do, Well, I don't know, actually. I don't know if you can retroactively once you've been once you've oh, had a child. Maybe she'd have to kill me first. Yeah. Oh, that's that's an intriguing thought. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Please stop being intrigued by this, by my demise. <laughs> I'm just gonna call your mom real quick. Uh, so in Dahomey culture, all official roles from financial advisors to religious leaders to the military generals were balanced by both a male and a female leader. Oh. And the king would bestow the title of woman king on a female reignmate. So you may have heard of the movie with Viola Davis. Yeah. Viola Davis, my woman king. I had to say that. 
I guarantee three people. I don't know what the hell you're laughed. talking about. Uh, it's it's great. I'll explain it later. But uh, so <laughs> there's this tradition of strong female leadership, and that's maybe why this army was created. But it's also possible that it was for a much more practical re- reason, which is that uh, the kingdom was losing many men in battles with neighboring West African states as they tried to expand the territory. So they turned to the women who ended up being totally badass. <laughs> uh, another possible origin is that uh, Dahomey had this tradition of skilled women who would hunt in teams, mm-hmm. uh, and then they became part of the palace guard, and then that soon evolved into this army. Um, I did mention that they weren't allowed to marry or have children. And if anyone even touched them, that person would be killed. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, it's just a life I'm currently leading, but <laughs> not, not by choice. I mean, that just makes it all the more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> the danger. The danger. <laughs> the danger is real. <laughs> Uh, and then by the mid-19th century, the Agoje were made up of different regiments of, of women, all uh, with their own uniforms, everything commanded by women. There were rifle women, huntresses, archers, reapers, and gunners. Reaper? Yeah. What's a it's reaper? Pretty badass, That's right? That's pretty cool. Yeah. What, well, are they, what are they armed with? Unless they're like the ones out there reaping the fields of like hair. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like they're the farmers. I don't know. Maybe they had like cool. scythes. Yeah. yeah That's I mean, so cool. That's, That's so cool. cool. Also, when you said they had all the different uniforms, that means that it's not a uniform then, really. No, sorry. All the, all the regiments had their <laughs> okay, own. Okay, okay. So like, each, yeah. each regiment had their own one rather than like... <laughs> no, they just got to wear whatever they want. Every day was casual Friday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> army. You know what? Show up. It's fine. Whatever you got on will do. Uh, so just to circle back to the founding of the Agogia, it could have been under Wegbaja, but it could have been his daughter. So Wegbaja had twins, a son named Akaba, who succeeded him in 1685, and a daughter named, named Hangbei. And there's a theory that after Akaba ruled and died, Hangbei took over as queen outright, or at least as regent, either for three months or three years. It's a little unclear. And unfortunately, she was ultimately written out of the official record of kings, which sucks. But she still has descendants living in Benin today, oh. which I think is pretty cool. Uh, anyway, Wegbaja dies in 1685, which is conveniently just one year away from the year in question. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to talk a little bit more just in this last minute or two about Dahomey in general, in case we never get to them again. Um, after Wegbaja's death, the kingdom continues on. Um, but by the 1740s, Dahomey is heavily involved in the slave trade. As they expanded and claimed territory, the slave trade provided the largest part of the king's income. Uh, mm. They'd sell their captives as slaves, often with some pretty staggering brutality. Uh, and that continues for about a century. But in the 1840s, the British have decided that it's time to end the slave trade. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yep, go on. Uh, or at least, you know, <laughs> or, parts of them. Or sorry, end the slave trade for others. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I <laughs> yeah. see. They exactly. Want to so they, okay. they blockade, the British blockade the ports of Dahomey in 1851. No, hang on, hang on. To, to be fair here, this is the Brits genuinely this, trying to end the slave yeah, trade. Yeah, okay. that's Glo- true. Like globally. Yeah. Okay. yeah. They did try to end it and then continued in places like America for, you know, many more years. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, the British blockaded the ports in 1851 and Dahomey stopped trading for a bit, but then resumed in 1857 for a lot of reasons, uh, namely because it was 
a key source of power and wealth and one of their key lever, uh, levers, levers over their rivals, the Oyo. But they had actually really interestingly fractured internally around the slave trade. And by the 1840s, there were two parties in the country, one of which included the crown, the male military personnel and the traders who were obviously in favor of continuing the trade. And the other included the agogie, the women warriors, as well as priests and other officials who wanted to legitimize the trade and do uh, trade things like palm oil instead of of humans. Um, So at least there was that. Uh, Unfortunately, then we enter squarely into the era of colonialism. France comes knocking for Dahomey. France and Dahomey fight a series of wars in the late 19th century, which France eventually wins. And Dahomey becomes a colony, a French colony in 1894. And once they were in charge, the French not only banned the agogie, but also basically prevented women from being in public service, getting an education, and all that good stuff. So in what is turning out to be quite an anti-French episode. Yeah, yeah we should probably like sprinkle in some good things about France. France is great. Now, it's good. Now, Pretty yeah. Good. Now, good. Uh, and then... Good effort. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I want to give a fair and balanced, you know. <laughs> so Dahomey gained independence in 1960 and then changed its name to Benin in 1975. Mm. And one cool final fact is that Nawi, the last known surviving Agogie with battlefield experience, died in 1979. Oh, right, okay. Wow. She was more than 100 years old. And so it's just kind of cool to think about, you know, this amazing female warrior who really saw some shit and died. Could have worked at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Could have worked at JPL. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I think she probably did. That's not written down in history, but I bet she did. So anyway, that's just a little bit about uh, the Kingdom of Dahomey and what is now uh, Benin. And they're very, very cool women warriors. That's so cool. Yeah. And now we should watch either Black Panther or You know, I've never seen it. Have you not seen Black Panther? No. It's it's actually excellent. I mean, like, we we genuinely could, like, watch a movie together at some stage. I know, we do. (laughs) We do. (laughs) I'm aware. I know. We do mention it every episode. Like, you you just insist on never hanging out with me unless there's some sort of business venture outcome to this, like, podcast. Yeah, what people don't know is that... Whether it's me crushing grapes for the vineyard... I'm in the mine searching for that lost gold from I'm last so episode. I'm so tired of your You know, lines. I am just uh, constantly under the yoke of the labor uh, here. Um, and I just feel that we should like hang out in some sort of other guise rather than exploiting my... my I just consider you a <laughs> productive asset. <laughs> the fact that you consider me productive is yeah, that's genuinely sh- endearing to that's me. That's a stretch, Will. It's one of the nicest things anyone has ever said to me. Well, you need, you need haranguing, but you're... <laughs> I'd, when I'm lazy, I'm just looking for attention. You know? <laughs> Um. Hence the podcast. So that's everything you'd ever need to know about the year 1686. Yes, indeed. Um, And in case you were wondering, uh, we have gone bi-weekly. That's Mm -hmm. why there wasn't an episode last week, but just wanted to remind you all that's going to be the schedule for the foreseeable future. And if you want more content, do check out the Patreon. Yeah. Patreon.com slash Randomly History. Also, just email us in. Tell your friends. Email us that you told your friends. Tell your friends to email us. I like emails. I want emails. <laughs> if you could, in your emails, send just one word at a time so we get like 200 emails, that, that would be, be great. Really and it, fun. the email address, which might be helpful to, to read out, is randomlygeneratedhistory at gmail.com. 
do email us in. Randomly after. generated history at gmail.com. Is that too long? Do you think we should get a shorter one? You can also. I think we're committed. You <laughs> can yeah, email me personally at I am a fart nugget at gmail.com. That is a real email address that I own. <laughs> so I would love to hear you, uh, hear from you there as well. Um, and that means the only thing that's left to do is get our next year. Yeah. Okay, so I am continuing. Oh, your apprenticeship. My apprenticeship. Sorry, I need to don my robes. Yeah, uh, thank you. Okay, good. They're donned. The candles are lit. I am shuffling towards the altar. <laughs> uh, the, ju- it, the incense in here. The yeah, it's thick ponding, with- yeah. It's a year's worth of incense burning. <laughs> <laughs> a year's worth of the production of yeah. Arabia. <laughs> I'm genuflecting. Um, it's quite like the coronation in many ways, although more extravagant and your fingers are far fatter penny mordant has got the sword <laughs> held a lot yeah, penny, that was Hi, penny, penny thank you so much for bringing thank the you sword. penny um and yes i am now cranking it and it sorry that's me doing the, the dance move cranking it oh, i'm right. not cranking them random yeah. generator. that it doesn't have a crank that's silly um and the year just to remind you is going to be between <laughs> 1000 oh, bce God. and 2000 ce and the year is seven 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 ah what huh. I've always said about you is you're just slightly off of the mark of the beast. <laughs> <laughs> 777. 777. That is going to be... A lucky year. It's very specific, that year. It's very specific. A, a very specific year. In the it is a century. very specific, <laughs> specific year. Correct. Yeah. I, you know, I have a tradition of uh, playing the slots after every episode. <laughs> of course. You And I never get the year in question. Oh, so yeah. this time I'm in. Hopefully you'll get this one yeah, and then I'm it's a big win. It. Yeah. Do you think I'm, I'm, I'm doing well in my apprenticeship or? or? No, not really. <laughs> okay. Well. Far too much cranking. <laughs> oh, oh. Great. See you next time. Toodle pep. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.